welcome to the Better People Podcast. I'm Holly DePama. And I'm Margaret Urich. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, it's the end of the year. And as you may happen? recall, uh, or the beginning of a new one, and every year I pick a word. And I pick a word that is going to really be my North Star for the upcoming year. And this year, my word is transformation. For the and coming year, 2023? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. And, um, you know, I, I so I've been thinking about transformation. And, you know, I remember when I first met you, Margaret, I was so impressed with, um, you know, sort of the different routes your career took. Mm-hmm and starting your own business and then going back to school. Um, and I'm, I'm always so um, in awe and impressed with people who completely change their careers. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for that. And it's been, it's been a blast. It's been a, a, I I've loved it. I've loved that. I've had the opportunity and, you know, to your point, I feel really fortunate that I've had that opportunity to, take a couple different paths in my life. And yet in the role that I'm in now, currently I say I'm kind of the perfect unicorn for this unicorn position because I get to pull all of those experiences together um, here now. So, you know, it's fun. They say hindsight's 2020. So when I look back, you know, we make things show up for us and we don't know why and we make decisions and we're not sure how it's all going to fit. And yet when you can look back and see how, those different turns that you took, those those different um, experiences that you tried, they all start kind of fitting together nicely. It's kind yeah, of cool. like, like you were a business owner in a construction mm-hmm. world and you went back to school to mm-hmm. become an instructional designer. Right. Right. Well, so here, so it really begins with, I started in, and you know, um, we'll laugh about this, but I started my career in personnel because that's what we called it then. And... <laughs> Right. And I had every position in personnel. I had done everything by the time I um, left that career. I'd done everything but training. And so when I had this opportunity after I started my own business and and grew a company for several years um, with my husband, and I decided to go back into, well, to, to leave that and find a new opportunity, I wanted to get back into the HR world. Um, but the one area I had not been in that I really wanted to spend time in was training. And so that's what took me there. So I kind of went back to where I started, but filled a gap that I hadn't um, had experienced right. yet. Right. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see what I get to transform into. Um, yeah. Mostly my transformation is more on a personal level, but um, I'm looking forward to today's guest, Joel Greengrass, who transformed his career from a management consultant to now being the chief people officer at Yieldstream. Yeah, it's going to be a great show. Today, we welcome Joel Greengrass, who is joining us on the Better People podcast. Joel, thank you for joining us. Thank you both for having me. Thrilled to have you here. So Joel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Rather than us going through some boring you know, introduction that we would read, we find it so much better if you just tell us you know, all about who you are. I give my own boring introduction. Um, no, but yours will be, say, because you'll be able to infuse it with you and your personality. For sure, for sure. Thank you. Um, thank you again for having me. So, I'm currently the Chief People Officer at Yield Street. So, Yield Street is a direct consumer alternative investment platform. Um, been there for about 18 months. 
Um, in my background, I was a chief people officer, chief HR officer, head of superhuman resources at companies like BuzzFeed and FanDuel, Equinox Fitness, and ideally, uh, but started my career off in banking and then management consulting, which is really where I developed the passion around the people side of the business and first started to think that there's got to be a better way to, to do this. And if somebody can be more strategic and find the right organizations to, to embrace it, then it could be a, a difference maker. So that has been uh, my last 20 plus years now. So tell us um, if you can. So um, what got you? So you said you were in management consulting and banking and you got interested in people. Was there one certain thing that happened that you said, oh my gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this? Um, or was it a like a sort of a snowball effect? I, I think there was like a two-pronged approach. And one of the prongs was unbeknownst to me at the time. Um, but one was my growing frustration of, of, of working in companies that your primary asset was people. Um, and they're really, it, it really was a very administrative type of function. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, like I didn't have any HR classes undergrad, like, you know, if you would ask me back then, like, would you ever consider going into it? Like, I, I might not have known what it was beyond being interviewed, um, or being paid or, you know, maybe, you know, having my health benefits. Um, but I definitely was frustrated. And I think at Anderson Consulting was the first time that I got to really participate in um, recruiting and onboarding around like our MBA programs. And 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 I loved it. And, and we did so much there around just education and developing our employees. Um, but it wasn't until I got into a company called Viant, where uh, we were building out an onboarding program for all of our new hires, where everybody would start on the first day of the month and you'd come from whichever of our other offices up to Boston, I mean, you'd literally spend your first month there, which for a company our size was unbelievable from an investment standpoint in time and energy and and, and money. Um, and my CEO had pulled me aside about two months in to my tenure there. And he was like, I've just decided that you're moving up to Boston and you're going to help you know build out and polish this program and run it. And I want all of the new hires to spend their first month with you. Um, and I, like, I didn't push back for a second. I was like, oh, okay. And my wife was from Boston, so that was an easy sell. I didn't have to worry about that. Didn't have kids yet. Um, so I went up and I, I moved up to Boston and I did that for, for 18 months with, what, and, and I loved it. What role were you in at the time? I was a project manager, manager okay. on consulting projects. Yeah. Yeah. So, and was there something about you that your boss said, what, what, what was it about you that made him say, people are going to spend a month with you? Um, what he told me was that he was watching me and how I was interacting with everyone and that I had this, uh, this, this passion and, and that was, that was inspirational and contagious. Um, and he wanted, you know, we were, we were spending again, not to belabor the, the the monetary issue, but you know we were a company of less than two hundred people, and some of our onboarding classes were you know thirty and forty people coming from all around the country. Um, you know he really wanted to make sure that at the end of that one month, people could go back to their home offices and they'd be fully indoctrinated into the culture. But from a service model delivery standpoint, they could also hit the ground running, right? So the idea was to get people to a point where they could deliver value as quickly as possible. Um, and, and yeah, so I was flattered and excited and not sure if I could do it, but it sounded really cool. 
So I'm curious, um, like what a great onboarding experience you created for these individuals and you weren't in a formal HR role at the time. So now that you are fully in HR, right? What lessons did you take from that? And, and what do you bring into all the orientation programs or onboarding programs that you create now within the organizations that you're in? I mean, I think passion and excitement is one of them. I mean, you realize that when somebody starts a new job, it doesn't matter if you know they've been working for 20 years or they've been working for two. It's still a lot like your first day of school, right? Like you're yeah. so nervous leading up to the first day and are the other kids going to like me and you know, what, what, what should I wear? And, and I think, um, how do you make people as comfortable and as excited as possible, as quickly as possible? Because my goal is that I want people leaving on the end of their first day, more excited than the day that they, you know, said yes. Right. And I think that that is, is like, I mean, that like makes all the difference in the world. If you have a great start at a job and it's clear that the company is investing in you and they're excited and it's an exciting culture, uh, I think the odds of someone staying with the company are are much, much more likely. But I think the other thing is that if you think about kind of like this this graph of, you know, on day one, a company is like spending a lot of time and money investing in somebody. And, you know, the 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 what you're returning is down here at the bottom, right? So how quickly can you get to that point where the return on investment is is basically the same as investment and then blow through that point where you're actually getting more back from employees? And I find like in a lot of environments, it's this like slow, arduous process and people don't necessarily understand what it means to even onboard people directly on their team. Um, and I just, I, I felt like since day one, it was a huge difference maker. And I think the, for me personally, it was, but I think part of it was just like, follow your instincts, right? So we'll do little things like when somebody accepts, it's not just, you know, you'll get emails from the founders or from your hiring manager or the team that you're going to go work on. Um, you know, I've done things where we'll send people like a Starbucks card the week of their first day. So, you know, on their way to work, they can get a great cup of coffee before they come in and, you know, do a welcome new hire breakfast for people. So they get to meet the other people starting at the same time um, in, in an environment where there's there's not a lot of stress. That's so, great. yeah, that's awesome. We, we often talk about falling into HR and how many um, how many of us seem to some sometimes actually fall into HR. Um, and so having made a bit of a career change, what did you do to sort of, um, I guess, hone your craft, right? Because being a project manager or management consultant, um, there's certain um, aspects that you were probably very different about your new role um, in working in HR. And what did you do to, to sort of hone your craft? So, you know, it's interesting because I, I did get pulled back onto the management consulting side for, for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the moment that I realized how much I enjoyed this kind of like new career that I was playing. But I also knew that I had only just scratched the surface. Um, so I, you know, I went and I got PHR and SPHR certified. I think, you know, trying to just get like some of the nuts and bolts. Like one of my beliefs up front was part of the reason that we were able to be so visionary around a program like onboarding was because we did all the little things well, um, and that that buys you a lot of credibility. But if you're out there messing up, you know, new hire paperwork and payroll and benefits, like it's going to be hard to sell like a more strategic and you know program that requires a lot of investment. So I wanted to make sure that I had that really really strong uh, foundation. I also sought people out in the space to find out if I was 
actually thinking with a clear head here that there might actually be a career here for me versus you know the 18 months that I had spent doing the, the you know the onboarding um and the people that I spoke to were 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 you know luckily also I think visionaries in the space loved what they were doing um got excited about the fact that I was someone who was not growing up in HR but was going to you know make that move over um and ultimately I remember I had interviewed for the 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 head HR job at Equinox Fitness. This is back in the day when they were, were, were much smaller. And the CEO said to me, all I know is that I'm not looking for an HR person. And I said, all I know is that I'm not an HR person, but I can help you you know, scale and grow this company using people-based solutions um, in a strategic way. And, and, and that was really the, 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 the start. I think I was probably interviewing against all traditional HR people. Um, so I think, again, the part of the thread throughout is your instincts. Right? I think our spidey senses, we ignore those a lot. And I think we do things the way that we think they're supposed to be done. Um, and the reality is like, yes, there's a lot of law within, you know, the world of HR and, you know, employment law, and it's getting more fun there every day. Right. But I still think there's so much latitude to do things differently and think out of the box and have fun. And, and I think for me, it was how do I combine those two and find that kind of happy sweet spot. Can you give us an example of something you did at Equinox? I was going to ask that. Sorry. <laughs> something you did at Equinox that was, you know, as you said, um, I believe you said, you know, sort of instinct rather than what would have been appropriate maybe or, or I don't mean appropriate, but like common policy or practice. I mean, one of the things that I started doing early on because we were a big distributed model and we were growing really fast was convince people to, to stop hiring which sounds odd because, you know, you need people to run these, these health clubs. But what I was seeing was that, you know, whether it was somebody at the front desk or somebody in maintenance, um, you know, if you had an opening there, managers were in such a hurry to fill roles mm. um, that we almost always were looking to fill that role again, 90 or 120 days later. Um, and teaching people hiring patients and how to hire and what is behavioral interviewing and that it's worth the extra week, two weeks, whatever it might be to find the right person for that role um, versus the speed of filling that seat. Um, like it was widely believed that, you know, people in those roles were, were, were only there for a job and not for a career. Um, and there was definitely like, again, like that happy medium where, no, there were some people who were looking for some stability and they wanted kind of a longer term role and they might have been aspiring to be something else. Um, but they wanted to know that they had like that consistency and, um, you know, part of the thought was if you could spend more time hiring the right, less time later on hiring for the same role 14 times. Um, and you know, it wasn't intuitive to people up front cause they had just always been taught to fill the role as, as quickly as you possibly can. Um, but the, it's not just, I think smart business from a, the standpoint of like being more effective and more efficient. But if you think about like who has the most interaction with members in like a health club environment, like those people at the front desk are like vital, right? Like they see you, you know, you, if you work out every morning at six 30 and you walk in, um, right. You know, it's hi Holly. Hi Margaret. Like that makes a big difference in, in your morning. So that consistency and not constantly having to be training people, um, which is also what was, was happening a lot. And, and, I think you you ran this risk of, you know, you had so much turnover. It was like making a copy of a copy of a copy. And, you know, people just weren't even learning all the fundamentals of the role anymore because they were probably going to be gone in three or four months. So I think that was one that just didn't seem obvious. Um, 
but I thought, you know, had unbelievable like ramifications for for the business because the the length of time that people were spending in their positions was 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 much much greater. Um, and then you started to see that people were indeed moving from you know roles at the front desk into sales types roles or or becoming personal trainers. Um, so there was more of a career mindset also, which was better for them. It was better for the clubs. It was better for the members. That's awesome. And yeah, not intuitive necessarily to think that way. So really, um, I, I can see how that would have required a shift in thinking for a lot of the people at Equinox. Um, yeah, imagine many people that I like, don't hire so fast, like stop hiring fast. Like, but, like what? <laughs> what do you mean? I have this open position and, and that's scary for people. So I can see how that would have been difficult, but, um, but I, but it makes complete sense. And I'm sure they saw that eventually. Um, but here's my question for you. I understand that for you, leading with kindness and empathy is really important. And so this is a two-part question. So what does that look like for you? And how do you help the leaders in your organization also be able to do the same thing? Um, so you're, you're, you're going to laugh about this a little bit more, Margaret, than others, just because of your, your IPEC background. But it's helped me like crystallize some of the why behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, I, be, I truly believe in my soul that like you should be treating people the way that you want to be treated, right? And I don't, I've never met a single person who has come to work trying to do a bad job or trying to screw something up, right? And therefore, when somebody makes a mistake or doesn't do something at the level that you want it to, like my first thought is that's an opportunity, right? That's an opportunity for to, to invest in that person, help them learn how to do it the right way. And it's not just the what to do, but it's the why. Give them the context, make their job, you know, help them understand how that connects to the well-being of the company. Um, because that's your that's your purpose. Um, and at the end of the day, when somebody makes a mistake, like again, to me, there's it's an investment opportunity, not an opportunity to go and, you know, slam someone for it or make them feel awful about that mistake. Now, I do believe that there's a difference between skills and behaviors, right? So I think if people make mistakes on the skill side, like that's our job is to train them and to get them skilled up and to make them as effective as possible, not just for the role that they're in, but hopefully for the next role and the role after that and the role after that. You know, behaviors are a little bit different. I probably have a little bit less tolerance for the number of times we can go back and, and you know, work with someone on there. Like there's definitely opportunities where people are not aware of their behaviors or their perception of their behaviors. Um, but I also firmly believe that if somebody is 25 years old, they have 25 years of reinforcing the behaviors that you're seeing right now. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I'd rather spend my time on like the people with high potential who who I think are going to perform at a level that's going to help the company. Um, right. And it doesn't mean that they're not nice people, but I think sometimes the hardest thing that you have to understand in a people role, and this might sound like it goes against the question of, of leading with kindness, is that sometimes you have to move on from people, right? Like having the wrong person in the wrong role um, it doesn't help them. It doesn't help the people around them. It actually creates a lot of unnecessary stress. But I think taking the time to explain to people what's going on, why it's happening, why you're making this type of decision, what you'd like to see out of them, um, I think is really important. And I think the other thing is, you know, getting to know your your people, um, like never more so than the past couple of years, like life happens. Um, and, you know, I have all of my one-on-ones start with five or 10 minutes of rapport building and finding out what's going on and what do people do for the weekend or what, like, you know, it's just, I find that stuff so, so, so important um, because nobody, and I don't know, like I've never responded well to, to leaders who manage through fear um, because I find that 
the one thing you can count on there is that people will eventually get to a point where they're going to do just enough to not get in trouble. Um, right. You know, and I had in that that first, you know, that company that I went to where I, I moved from the consulting side onto the people side of the business, um, people would have followed that CEO off a cliff, right? He was just so the, the contagious passion and energy and and I decided that that's what I wanted to be. Like that's that's how I wanted people to perceive me. Um, and and so I think upfront, I don't know how conscious or not conscious or unconscious it was, but um, definitely like a core belief of mine now. So and and um, love what you just shared. And we all know how important the role of the manager is for the employee, and how what a difference the manager can make in the employee's experience at work and in their performance at work and, and everything. So. Um, are you able to, in your role, influence the leaders within your company to also have that same mindset, right? That everything is just, is a learning opportunity. Yes. So we work very, very heavily with all of our leaders. At, uh, mm -hmm. And I'll say there's positional leadership where you've got that attached to your title. And then there's day-to-day -day people who act like leaders um, who might not be recognized yet, but maybe you know they're going to be on that career path. Um, we do spend a lot of time though, um, on, on building those. And I, I differentiate between management and leadership skills, right? Like what we're talking now is about the ability to lead, but we spend a lot of time with our teams doing that with our managers. Um, we will do a lot of role playing with them around different types of situations. Um, this is where the, you know, the, the funny part comes in, Margaret, for IPEC. It's like the yeah. reframing right? Works really, really, really well for people because their instinct might be like, no, we have to get this done by this day. It's like, okay, like I understand that, but like, what's another way to think about that, right? Um, you know, do you believe that your team doesn't know that they actually have to get that done by that day? Because if so, then there's another problem. The reality is that they know, they probably know what they need to do. They might not know how they need to do it, or they might be nervous about not doing it the right way. So what can we do to set them up for success? And also help people understand how to take the right amount of intelligent risk. Um, if the people on your team are making no mistakes at all, th they're probably not taking enough risk, right? Like, and you're probably not moving the company as fast as you as you need to. Interesting. So, you spoke in the beginning about this month sort of immersion into hmm. an organization and its culture and its um, and getting people up to speed in an environment and in a way that we don't necessarily do anymore. Right. So I see, right. you know, you are not in an office. Um, and talk to me about how things have changed and how you, how do you make sure you have that immersion in a virtual or hybrid environment to be able to pass down culture? Sure. I, I think it's a great question and a great point right now, given where we are. So um, at Yield Street, we're in a hybrid environment. Um, we go in generally at least three days per week. Um, we Our guidance is that people will be there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because if you're going to want people there three days a week, you want them to overlap as much as possible because the things that you're trying to maximize for are you know, collaboration and that passion and that energy of, of you know, being together. Um, we obviously start people on Tuesdays, not Mondays, when nobody's going to really be in the office or when there's going to be very few people in the office. But like, I, I'm actually, I'll say this, like, I love the hybrid work environment. Um, I think if there's such a thing as something good came out of COVID, I think that would be it. Because I think the ability to like, 
recharge and, and rest and, and work more efficiently and smartly and think about things that you've never think, thought about before. Like I have team members in Greece and Brazil, um, Malta, like I do my one-on-ones with those teams now on Mondays and Fridays because I'm going to be working from home. Why would I use in-office time when I can be meeting with people in person there? Um, so some of what we're doing is teaching people how to maximize their effectiveness in this new model. But I do have serious, serious concerns for companies that are 100% remote, where this is as close as you'll ever get to someone else, right? Like I've seen people from the armpits up and that's it. So how do you build, going back to our last question, like how do you build the rapport in those relationships? Because who you work with is still one of the biggest drivers of retention, right? And, And I think if it's only in a video environment, I think it's really, really difficult. So when I have people reach out to me or companies reach out to me around like, you know, consulting to them on this, you know, my strong recommendation is like, like you need to at least get to a hybrid version of what you're doing because otherwise you're leaving some stuff on the table. Like there's just no way that if you've never met somebody in person that you can have the same relationship of, you know, as if you've been, you know, sitting down with them in a room or, uh, like an in-person brainstorm session where you've got whiteboards and flip charts going around the entire room. Like what we can do on video now is incredible. And I shuddered to think what would have happened if COVID had hit us like 20 years ago, right? Like would we have been like faxing and, you know, sending pages back and forth, like, you know, to people. Um, so we're so fortunate from that standpoint, but it's still not at the point where it replicates real human behavior. So I think to me, it's how do you maximize those opportunities as much as, as, as you possibly can. Um, and so that, that's what we, we do, but we even, again, we teach our people, you know, how best to take advantage of this hybrid schedule so that when you're in the offices and you're surrounded by other people, you're maximizing that opportunity as much as possible. How about the argument? Um, you know, this has been the year of the, of, you know, not enough employees and, um, the great resignation, et cetera. Talk to me about how you respond to the, well, people won't work here if we make them come into the office a few days a week, because I, mm-hmm. that's one of the things I hear. And maybe it's because um, I'm as old as I am, but that makes me crazy um, because, you know, like, uh, but I also understand that it's a, this is a different generation that this is, um, that the times are different, but how do you respond to that? You know, you're, you're missing out on a whole section of potential, um, candidates who want to work hundred percent remote. Yeah. Listen, so it's not without its challenges for sure, but I think, you know, every company has their own culture and values. Um, and it's difficult for me to see how you can say that you're a people environment, you know, if you're not embracing the fact that like there's a benefit to having people there in person. So for us, it's we recognize that there's going to be certain roles where it's going to be more difficult to find people because some of them want to be 100% remote or some companies have immediately leveraged the fact mm-hmm. that they can do remote and they've got employees in 50 states. Um, you know, I and I think that's fine for them if it works for them. But I think, you know, for us, you know, we choose to find the people who are excited about being in the office. I don't actually like, I've never met anybody who's not actually excited to be in the office. I've met plenty of people who aren't excited to commute. Right. So I think that's the other thing is, is understanding like, what is that difference there? But I have seen things in person, even with some of our more senior people where there was like, you know, what seemed to be kind of low level banter going back and forth and a question came up and 
like somebody from like two desks over shouted out like, oh my God, I just saw that. Here's what happened. Here's the answer. And that like those things which happen every day in our workplace would not have happened if mm -hmm. everybody was 100% remote. Um, I think the other thing is personally, like, like I get fatigued from this, you know, on, on days that I'm working from home, if, if I find myself in, you know, 10 plus Zoom or Google meet, meetings, like throughout the course of a day, like I actually question what it is that I got done sometimes. Like it's one thing to be doing my one-on-one -on -one check ins, but like there's other stuff that it's just like, like these are worse than the meetings that we used to have in the office where nothing was getting done. Like it's just, it's not a great use of time. Um, and I think because the tool has, is there, people are comfortable using it. Um, but I just, again, if it's not right for your company, it's not right for your company. And I think that, you know, you have to find what works for you, which by the way, should be the answer to everything, right? Just because company A does something or B does something mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's going to work for you anyway. Um, so for us, it's really the, it's so important to get people in and that energy and, and, you know, last week, like, you know, we had a good old fashioned holiday party in person together and it was like an amazing time. And, and like, I, like I was working from home before I started working for Yield Street a year and a half ago. And I forgot just how much I missed it and how much energy it gives me. Um, and, and, and also like as the resident old guy in the office, like how young it keeps me too. There you go. So, um, so we're at the end of 2022, which can't believe it. I don't know how this happened, but like what's, what's on the plans or in the plans for 2023 for you? What's something that you're really excited about that you're going to be rolling out or you're going to be starting anything? I, some of it's like nerdy HR stuff, um, which I tend to, okay. uh, you know, I tend to fall in love with sometimes, but like, I'm a big believer in workforce automation. So going back and understanding what are the things that like can be done asynchronously versus need to be done synchronously and how do you build in like workflow processes for those to make them not only like to save time, but like truly to make it more efficient and beneficial for the people who are involved. Um, I think that's super, super important. And I've made most of my career in like high growth startup companies. So that's definitely that definitely one. Um, you laugh given like what we started with around like onboarding. But we're we're completely revamping how we onboard our employees. Um, I think what we did was good, but I think there's so much opportunity to do it better. And in our world of fintech, where you have so many very very different groups and skill sets, um, there's Yield Street level onboarding, but then there's onboarding, you know, by department, by product, by engineering, investments, and so forth. So figuring out how do we like leverage all of those little pieces that work, you know, best for them. Um, we just rolled out a mentorship program. So we're piloting it right now with uh, 24 individuals who are our mentees. Um, and my goal is to have that uh, rolled out to half of the, the company by the time we get through 2023. Um, you're right, 2023 almost didn't come out of my mouth. I was like, wait, is that right? It's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. crazy. Um, we're doing um, more learning and development focus also around health and wellness and how and especially in today's world which includes everything from still dealing with COVID, or i guess now it's called the tri-pandemic right with the flu and, and rsd mm -hmm. um and all of the 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 macro level things that are well beyond our control um how do you teach people how to lean you know lean into that from a leadership standpoint like there's a different kind of courageous leadership model i believe when 
when things are not all rosy and you know unicorns and and, and rainbows. Um, so spending a lot of time with our, our our leaders focusing there also on on how that needs to be different in this environment because when things are going well, it really does just hide a lot. Um, and when you know you start going through one of these really lean environments and you realize that a lot of your people have never been through anything close to a recession before and they're not sure how to react. Like there's skills involved there and and you're probably better off not letting people figure that stuff out on their own. So to the extent that we can like bring more transparency to that process, that's something that we're doing as well. And I'm really, really excited. We found some amazing partners there that we're doing that with also. Wow, that sounds amazing. So Joel, one of the questions Holly and I always like to ask is, what is something that you believed maybe back at the beginning of your career that's changed? Ooh, that's a really, really good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that one before. Um, well, I will say that at the beginning of my career, the the nuts and bolts operation side of HR was so much more a part of my focus. And I believed that like, you know, you had to know everything about everything and, you know, this employment law and that like, and, you know, the reality is things are changing really, really, really fast. And there's the, you know, I'll go back to like intelligent risk. Like there, there are, there are decisions that we make every day because sometimes it's the right thing to do for that employee. Where if you were just following like the strict HR employment law model, you probably wouldn't have, have made that, that choice. And I think again, you know, life happens, it's happening more in the last two years than ever before. And I think to not recognize that and play to that, I think would be like, it's a really, really, really big mistake. And I, I was much, much more by the book early on because I was afraid to make a different type of mistake. Um, so yeah, I'd say that would be it. Um, that's a great answer. Um, and so also finally, really, what what piece of advice would you give to um, someone who is just fresh starting out in their H- HR career? So I, I actually think this is for anybody in any career, because I say this all the time, and I, I believe it's what it's made me as effective as hopefully I've been in, in my career is like dip your fingers in everything at the company, like learn what is going on beyond, you know, your four walls or, you know, your, your virtual four walls. Um, I think it's really, really important from an HR perspective to have as much context around what the business does, why they do it, what decisions are made, you know, whether using goals or KPIs or OKRs, like what do those look like at the top and how does like what you're doing support those? Um, I really feel that like the more operational you can be as an HR person, and I don't mean that with regard to HR operations, I mean, Mm -hmm. with regard to the company operations, the more effective that you can be. And when you're talking to somebody and you can understand more what it feels like to be in their seat, um, the more effective you're going to be. Like when I first got to Equinox, um, I didn't know that I was doing this at the time or why I was doing it. It just seemed like, again, a good spidey sense thing to follow, but I worked the front desk um, I cleaned clubs. I got certified as a personal trainer. Um, about the only thing I didn't do was like lead a group fitness class or give massages for obvious reasons on both fronts. Um, but I think it made me so much more effective in understanding what that business was and why what we were doing was so important. Um, and that served me really, really well throughout my career. So to me, it's do as much as you possibly can raise your hand when there's like cool assignments, even if it's outside of your sweet spot. Like take those intelligent risks because you're going to increase your knowledge, increase your performance, but ultimately increase your value to the company too. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So Joel, this has been great. We really appreciate you spending time here with us today. I know Holly and I have learned a lot. I know our, our listeners, I'm sure, have as well. So we've really, um, we've enjoyed it and we wanted to thank you for your time. Oh, thank you both so much. This was a lot of, a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Better People podcast, Joel. Have a great day. Thanks. You guys too. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Holly, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. The Better People podcast is brought to you by MEA. At the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association, we help organizations and their people grow through HR-driven business solutions. Find out more at meainfo.org or in the show notes.